Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's not often I get to introduce somebody that science says was dead for 90 minutes. But it is absolutely my privilege and my honor to introduce to you today the man who was in that horrendous truck and car collision, who went to the gates of heaven, who saw and walked around heaven itself for 90 minutes and is here for one reason and one reason only, and that is because God sent him back to tell us heaven is for real. Would you stand with me and welcome Don Piper. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don, it really is, a, it's a privilege. I've had you here in my church a couple of times now, and every time, uh, I, listen, I sit on the edge of my seat like a little kid because hearing about heaven and the miracle that God did in your life, it never loses its power. It's amazing. Uh, after all these years, uh, you would think that it had diminished uh, in its power, but it's right. it just it's a it's a story that seems to resonate across over three decades now since I was killed in that car wreck. Uh, in five books and, and a movie, I, I never dreamed my life would be for sale at Walmart, and uh, it is, and uh, it, it's just stunning. I mean, you know, but people want to know if God answers prayer. Yes. They want to know if he's still in the miracle business. Right. They want to know if heaven is a real place. And they also want to know if you can get through long, dark nights, whatever it is, bankruptcy, divorce, hurricane, house fire. I mean, whatever it is, the loss of your longtime job, all those things that we go through, they want to know if you can find a new normal and get to the other side. The truth mm. is, yes, you may not be the way you were before, but you can be better, not bitter. And so that's what this story Amen. is, and it seems to just go on forever. I wrote this book so I would never have to talk about it. <laughs> How's that working out? That's working out not at all, actually. Five, I've, I've spoken in 5,000 places. So, um, you know, sometimes you try to put something behind you, and God puts that in front of you. And so we fight that, you know, because we want to... We want to go back to the way things were before this happened. And the truth is we're, we're not going back to that place. But we can, we can be better. Uh, I've been knocked down but not out. Amen. So, Don, uh, many years ago, you're going to tell us exactly how many and the date, you were actually coming home from a pastor's conference yeah. of all places. Yeah, I'd been in a three-day pastor's conference in uh, East Texas, and my church was south of Houston, so it was about 120 miles away. We had a good conference, uh, a lot of good speakers. And so I was headed home. It was Wednesday in our church. We have Wednesday services. So I was headed home to lead that Wednesday service. Had a Bible study I'd worked up for that night. And I had a stack of sermons on the seat beside me, which was interesting. I mean, why would you? Well, I've been working on this series because we had a lot of new believers in our church. Right. And they, we, you know, I think it's important. It's always important that you kind of learn who you are. You know, what, what do we believe? And yeah. so I had a series of messages. I believe in a great God. I believe in Jesus, the Son of God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the, the shared meal of the new covenant, the Lord's Supper. I believe in baptism. We were going, that's where I was going. I, I, I actually didn't preach any of those sermons 
in my church. I never really got to until last year I got to preach, I believe, in a great God, which is the only sermon that was saved that day in my church, 33 years later. I'm slow, but I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I made it. It was an enormously emotional uh, day. So that was all on the seat beside me. I'm headed home. It's a cold, rainy day, almost near freezing. So I was trying to get home before the, the bridges started uh, freezing. And so I decided to go home a different way at the gates. And uh, that involved going across a big lake with an old bridge on it. And uh, this old bridge is, um, it, was, it was built by the WPA. Some of you are old enough to know what that is. It, it was built in the 30s, you know, by the Works Progress Administration. There you go. It is abandoned now. You could fish off of it. But in those days, it was the only bridge across that lake. And uh, they have a nice four-lane highway beside it now because many people lost their lives on this bridge. Very narrow. I'm almost off the other end of the bridge, an 18-wheeler is coming down a steep hill. He said some car pulled out at the last minute. He swerved to miss that car, and he hit me uh, head on. It was a horrific collision. The truck literally rolled up over the top of my car, shoved it up against the railing of the bridge, and I was killed instantly, which I think brings up an interesting question. What am I doing in Florida? <laughs> I'm going to ask you the same question. What are you doing here that matters? You ever, I mean, you have to stop sometimes and think, what, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What is my reason for being? And uh, I, we, we want to try to answer that question today Yeah. Uh, for all of you. Um, I think you're here to help everyone else get there, but we'll, we'll go over that uh, shortly. So I was killed. They, uh, they sent four ambulances out there because after the truck hit me, he had two more cars. So there were four victims. And uh, the EMTs treated everyone. Uh, miraculously, the other two drivers were not hurt badly. Cars were totaled. But the truck driver actually sustained no injuries at all. He was kind of above up in the cab. He was actually an inmate from a prison lo locally and because uh, the regular driver didn't show up that day, and he did not know how to drive a big truck. Uh, he proceeded to drive it into me. But, um, you know, he, he, he just took the keys and started driving. He didn't ask any questions. really wasn't his fault. Uh, and I know he didn't get in the car that day to come and kill someone. I mean, that's not what his objective was. So it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. That's right. And so, um, you know, he killed me. The, the paramedics worked on everybody. Everyone else, else was treated and released. That meant that the other three came and worked on me, too. So you have four licensed paramedics doing literally everything they could possibly do to try to save my life, including things that they'd even been told about and never done before. They were just trying to resuscitate me. They were unsuccessful. So I was pronounced by four paramedics as dead on the scene and covered up with a, 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 a dark tarp so nobody would have to, all the windows are knocked out of the car, I guess we have a picture of the, of the car. Yes. And uh, it, it was uh, uh, destroyed. All the windows are knocked out of the car. It, um, it, you know, it just ran over me, starting on the front fender and right over mm -hmm. the top of the car. This is at the wrecking yard, so the roof has been pulled back and then laid back down on top. In the next picture, you could see how I sustained all the injuries. This is before airbags, so the steering wheel went horizontal into my chest, so I had internal injuries. 
my head banged against the side of the door and I had uh, blood coming out of my ears, eyes and nose, but it was dried because my heart stopped beating immediately. And then the dashboard collapsed on my legs. My right leg was broken at the knee, so instead of going this way, it went the opposite direction. And my left knee was severed right above. I must have slid in the seat a little bit. So it came down on the top of my leg and just cut it in two. Four and a half inches of femur, the largest bone in the human body, was ejected from that car and never found. So I, it was just connected by a little tissue on the bottom and hanging on the floor. I put my arm up, so I must have seen the truck somehow out of the corner of my eye. Don't, God in his infinite wisdom has erased that from my memory if I did. But when I put the arm up, that's when the truck ran over me and took this arm into the back seat of the car. And from here forward, this part of my arm was actually laying on the back seat of the car. Uh, which had been twisted and only a little tissue was left. So I was really essentially dismembered. I had these massive open wounds, but remember, my heart wasn't beating, so uh, I didn't bleed out, which is what would have happened had I not been killed. So uh, they're waiting for a coroner. You know, when you have a fatality, uh, they have to find out who's responsible for this, right. who killed this man, how did, <clears throat> how did I die, so they're waiting for that, that guy, and they are justice of peace, and they can't get him out there because there were other accidents in the county. So this goes on for an hour and a half, at least. The wait part, uh, there was more that tried to get me out of the car later on. So back behind me are lots of, of, of pastors also who have left the same conference trying to get to their churches for Wednesday nights. One of those guys who pastored a church north of Houston, mine was south of Houston, uh, he and his wife leave their car, walk all the way up onto the bridge, and um, as he's approaching the wreck and thinking, as a pastor, I need to pray for the victims here, uh, God spoke to him. I think God's doing a lot more speaking than we are listening, Richard. Mm. Yes. I do. But this guy was listening when God said something that would have been on, on paper preposterous. Pray for the man in the red car. That would have been me. Well, I was dead. Uh, that was not part of his theology, praying for dead people. But he was obedient, which is what God is interested in. Hmm. Yeah. If you just did things under, you understood, you probably wouldn't do very much. He's looking for faith is what he's looking for. So this guy was obedient. He said to the policeman, I have to get in the car and pray for him. No, sir, you can't do that. It's too dangerous. This twisted metal broken glass. If you want to pray for him, you just stand here and pray for him. No, got to get in the car. So there's an argument for you, a preacher and a state policeman. So guess who won? The preacher did. So he crawls into the back of the car. You, you, know, you saw the back of the car. He had to crawl in from the back. It was a hatchback that was knocked off. And because uh, he couldn't get him to the side, that's against the railing, and this part was crushed on top of me. So he crawls in the back, he lifts up the tarp, he sees the body, he realizes the only thing I did not break in the accident, and it is the only thing I didn't break, was my right arm. So he puts his hand on my shoulder from behind, and he begins to pray because God told him to. Now he's under the tarp in the dark, it's the middle of the day, and it's still raining, of course, and he's praying over my dead body. He's not the only one praying by that time, because they did search me to find out who I was, and when they found that out, and they found my business card, they called my church. 
They did not tell them on the phone that I was a fatality. They don't do that. But they didn't know where my family was, so the church, of course, goes to try to gather my family. The church launches into a massive prayer meeting. They start calling every church in the phone book. Remember phone books, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> phone book. They start calling every church in the phone book, and they're asking them to pray, and every church starts praying. So this spreads worldwide. I'm not exaggerating. I've met people around the world that were praying that morning, but it wasn't morning where they were. They were just told this pastor's in a wreck on the way to church. Uh, would you pray for him? So they're praying everywhere. I don't know they're praying because I'm absent from the body present of the Lord. I'm having a great time. If I'd have known they were praying, I would have told them to stop. Because <laughs> if you've been there, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be You don't want to come back. Yeah, even yeah. grace and faith. You, don't, you would rather be there than here. And so they're all praying. And God, I told you he was doing more talking than we are listening. He's also listening to everything we say. That ought to scare some of us, but... He's listening to everything we say, and so he's listening to all these petitions, thousands of people praying for me, and uh, uh, 90 minutes after the truck ran over me and killed me, uh, Dick Honorecker's uh, under the tarp singing actually old hymns, which is his form of prayers. He's singing a great old hymn called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It's a marvelous hymn. Over my dead body, holding onto my right shoulder, and suddenly, without any warning, under that tarp in the dark, I start singing the song with him. He got out of the car really fast and ran over to the, the policeman and said, Officer, the dead man is singing. And uh, nobody believed him. I remember singing with him, even though I was in the dark and I had no idea who he was. Uh, that's my first recollection of being back here. And, of course, I was in shock, so I felt, I felt nothing. He had to really plead with them, Pastor, to, to come and check on me. You know, they were They didn't believe him. Hey. Yeah, they did not believe him. Well, they, thought, they thought it was his imagination. You know? Well, the thing is, and, and I want to accentuate to everyone, we have the buzz phrase today, oh, we believe in science. Yeah. Well, the science that everyone wants to believe in, Four sets of emergency workers yes. declared, you're dead. Right. That's the science. So this isn't, a, well, maybe he was still alive. Right. No, he was dead. Was it dead. is documented. It is history. Yes. Books have been written, interviews, thousands of interviews, and they made a movie on the fact that science said he was dead for 90 minutes. Yeah. And for 90 minutes, he was in heaven. Yeah, I'm played by uh, Hayden Christensen in the movie uh, Darth Vader. So my kids have started calling me Darth Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird having a movie made about your life, I must say. Um, yeah, it is documented. I, I was uh, actually dead. And wow, when I came back, I came back to um, really a horrific life for a long time. Um, I, I wished I was dead at that point, not a death wish, just I was in really, really bad shape for a, a very long time. I had two, three more encounters with he won't make it through the night, he's infected, he's not, you know, it, it, was, it was a roller coaster uh, for a, a long time, uh, just trying to survive and make it and asking no. the question every day, why did God show me heaven and bring me back to yeah. this? Yeah, Don, um you had mentioned in the earlier service your arm 
from here forward was just hanging by skin. Yes. Virtually the same with your left leg. Right. Uh, and yet, folks, if you look at his left arm, his movement in his uh, fingers is incredible. Yeah, this is, this is the arm that was in the back seat of the car. And then this leg is actually uh, mine. Um, and, and Well, both of them are. And this one was fixed. <laughs> and then this one was uh, repaired. Uh, you know, I guess we Can we have the photo, the very first photo, yeah, that shows his this. leg and a pretty. bit of his arm? Um, I developed double pneumonia very quickly. And um, I'm in the ICU, and uh, they're not, it's hour to hour if I'm going to live. They knew they had to do something to, uh, to get me through this because I have pneumonia in both lungs. And so they couldn't elevate me to give me breathing treatments because I'm in traction on three of my four limbs. And so they decided to do an experimental treatment, or they asked for Eva's permission. Eva's out at the, at the table. You need to go see her after this. She is the hero of this story. I am not. I survived the accident. She overcame the accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, incidentally, I, I, I didn't say this first, but I recommend her book very highly. If you know someone who's a caregiver or, or trying to get through a long, dark night, her book, A Walk Through the Dark, is a very helpful book for that kind of thing. Eva was, Eva was told that they were going to try an experimental treatment on me with her permission, but it never had been done before, and uh, she was given five minutes to make that decision. The alternative was to remove what was left of my leg and my arm so I could be elevated to get breathing treatments. So she decided to do this, and it involves uh, breaking your leg in another place. It involves putting stainless steel halos around your, your leg embedded in your pelvis, and then they turn screws on these halos four times a day to stretch the bone inside to replace uh, the bone that's missing. They did replace about three and a, three, three and a half inches of it over a period of year. I had 30 open wounds in my leg. I can't even tell you what they did to those open holes every day. Uh, and then the arm was stabilized by another kind of external fixator, and it involves putting rods through your arm and out the other side, and then a plate of steel above it and below it to hold the arm in place as if it was still connected. All the vessels in this arm came from other places in my body. Uh, All the bones in this arm came from my right pelvis, and all the skin on this arm came from my right leg. Medical people have a knack for finding things you didn't even hurt and hurt those for you to fix the other stuff. So this is this is the arm, and the, you know this is the leg. I think so a we miracle, have a, really, brother. I think we have a photo of uh, yeah. you and where they took skin yeah, grafts the from the other leg. Yeah. You can see where they took the skin off the leg to put it on the arm. You can see where my right leg was broken, and then a little bit of the device, and then in the distance, way in the distance, uh, the thing that was sticking through my arm and coming out the other side. I I was in this condition for 13 months, I had 34 operations to put me back together again. So um, the fact that I walked into this auditorium today and when I'm finished, I'm walking out is a testimony to the miracles of God. Amen. You know, that's, that's important because if you live long enough, you're going to need one, yeah. probably several. And I have good news. God is still in the miracle business. Amen. Absolutely. 
Don, you died instantly and suddenly were at the gates of heaven. Tell us about that. Who yeah. did you meet and what was heaven like? You know, you hear so many people talk about going down a long, dark tunnel with a light at the end of it. I think that's actually pretty common. That did not happen to me. And I think it was because of the, the, the instant nature of the death. Uh, most people pass away. You know, it's a process. It was not a process for me. I'm driving about 40 miles an hour, and he's driving 60 miles an hour. You can do the math. It was a, well, it was over 100 miles an hour impact. So I was killed instantly, which meant that I was standing at the gate immediately. And I say gate because there are 12 gates in heaven, three on each side of the great city. And I was at one of them, uh, indicating that you could come into heaven from the whole world. I mean, God... God wants to, all of us to be uh, with him in heaven. Yes. So I'm at one gate, and I'm immediately surrounded by people I had known and loved in life who had preceded me in death. First one was my grandfather. I called him Papa. You know, one of the great joys of my life now is my six grandchildren call me Papa. I have <laughs> become him, and when I hear that, I think of him. Uh, I, I adored him. My dad was career army, and he was gone uh, a great deal of my life. And Papa never left. He, he was always there. Uh, my mother's father, he was a carpenter, a builder. Uh, I, I learned at the age of 13 that he was illiterate. He could not read it right because I was always signing things for him. And I, I, I was stunned by that. Um, he was a brilliant guy. So, you know, being uh, able to read right is not an indication of your intelligence. I just thought he was wonderful. He treated us brothers, I had brothers, like we were his own children, and I, I can remember following him around. He wore overalls all the time with dangling tools, and if you're a little boy, that's just the coolest thing ever. I would hand him nails, and he would nail them, and I'm sure now they were the wrong nails, but he would, <laughs> he would look down at me and say, you're a big help to Papa, and I believed him, and then one night he died. I, I got the call, and I raced out to his house. I rode with him in the ambulance, praying all the way, and I was standing outside the door of the emergency room when the doctor, who was a personal friend of his, came out in tears and said, we did everything we could. We lost him. I have a lot of broken bones, as you can plainly see, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. And when you lose someone that you love that much, it hurts. The last time I saw him, he was in a casket in the church. He did not look good. Now I'm standing at the gates of heaven, and he's surrounded by other people, many of whom he knew and others he didn't. And heaven, you, everybody knows everybody. You don't get introduced to heaven. There's no introduction. You will be known. And you'll know every of the people inside that didn't have anything to do with your getting there. So I'm standing in front of him. He, on earth, he was missing fingers. I mean, he had very dangerous jobs, a welder, a, a lumberjack, a you know, over his life. So he lost three fingers on one hand and two on the other. And he's extended his arms to me, and I looked down and saw his hands. The first time I ever saw his real fingers on the ends of his hands. And he looked at me, and he spoke a language I've never heard before, but fully understood. And he said, welcome home, Donnie, which is what he called me here on earth. And I knew where I was because I knew where he was. He embraced me, and I was home. Heaven is home if you know Christ. 
there were other people there. My next door neighbor was there, Miss Norris. There were two guys that I knew from high school, both of whom lost their lives. Aunts, uncles, teachers, uh, I mean, all kinds of people. They all helped me get there. The people who greeted me at the gates of heaven are the people who helped me get there. They knew I was coming. You're not going to sneak up on heaven. Everybody knows who's coming. We had two people make decisions in the first service. Yes. I guarantee you angels are still singing their name, announcing yes. they're on the way. Awesome. Yeah. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. So you, you're not missed by the people in heaven. You're expected. They know you're coming. And we think that. We lost people. We lose people. Pastor, you know that in December of this past year, we lost our 46-year-old daughter to cancer. Um, we're still processing it. Sure. Uh, we know where she is, but we want to hold her now. Yeah. And I know some of you understand that because you recently lost somebody. But, it, you know, if I needed any incentive to go, uh, and Nicole has given me that, She's waiting for me, and I promise you she's not missing me. She knows I'm coming. There is no time in heaven. It's eternal. No one is born there. No one dies there. You'll be eternal. You won't have an age. There's not really any age. Age is not an issue in heaven. So I will, I will see her again, and I, I must say I can't wait to see her again. But I know we have work to do here, and she wants us to do the work. We talked about it before she passed. So I get that. I, I'm trying to get people into heaven. And that's what the people who met me at the gates were trying to do. My latest book is called People I Met at the Gates of Heaven. Who's going to be there because of you? I think we're here to help everyone else get there. And I think we have much work to do. We do. So you know, I'm challenging you today. Yeah. Don, I think it's important to point out that all these people that met you at the gate were people who had asked Jesus Christ into their heart. Every one of them. And they weren't planning to die the day they died no. either. Those two 18-year-old boys, one of them drowned, the other one was killed in a car wreck. One of them, a very dear friend of mine. That boy had invited me to Sunday school. He invited me to Bible study. Wow. He was in my Bible study. If I didn't show up on church on Sunday because my folks didn't go, I had to take myself to church when I finally learned how to drive. He would see me on Monday at school and say, where were you yesterday? <laughs> and I'd say, well, I, I just didn't feel very well. I'm going to pick you up next Sunday. This, this guy was a four-star athlete. He was an amazing guy, and he was killed in a car wreck. We had never lost anybody our age. And so being at his funeral with all those hundreds and hundreds of kids and seeing him, this beautiful 18-year-old kid in a coffin, was something that shocked us forever. He met me at the gates of heaven because he helped me get there. And so I know where he is. I, I, I knew where he was, but I wasn't, I mean, I'm shocked. He's standing right in front of me, and he's welcoming me to heaven. So we are welcomed by the people who help us get there. The problem is we got many more people that are not ready to go there. So that's, yeah. that's, I, that's why we're still here. That's one of the yeah. reasons we do this. Hey, you have church every Sunday, right? Right. See, <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's why we do this. We're, we're, we're praising God because he wants to hear from us, but we're also trying to get people in, and we're taking reservations this morning. Very important. Very important. You, you talked about there's a book of life, and there your is. name has to be written in that book. 
it's talked about about three times uh, in the Bible about the, the book of life, often called the Lamb's book of life, referring to Jesus. And what it really refers to is that you want your name in this book. Uh, we, we stayed at a hotel while we were here. First thing they ask when you walk into the desk is, do you have reservations? Well, that's common, you know. They need a room for you. In heaven, you make reservations by accepting Christ and getting your name in that registration book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. You want your name in this book. And the truth is, when you get your name in the book, they have a big celebration in heaven announcing that you're on the way. You have a heavenly host that's singing your name and, 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 and praising God because he alone is worthy of our worship for a new name written down in glory. So you, you need to look in the Revelation 21. You'll see the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. So if you are an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, your name's in the book. They're expecting you. And if you're not, you can get it in there today. Don, in a moment, we're going to extend this invitation. Uh, but before we get there, tell us a little bit of what you saw in heaven. Over the heads of these people was a, a small entrance, actually. And it, it kind of surprised me, but I shouldn't have been surprised because the, 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 the gate to heaven is narrow. We go in one at a time. Even though the gate is very elaborate, like the inside of an oyster, it's, it's pearl. It really is a gate made of pearl. I could see inside, the wall is quite thick, actually, and there is, not surprisingly, a golden boulevard that goes down the middle of the city. There's a pinnacle in the city, high and lifted up, and it is a city, um, and there are thrones on the top of that. The brightest light of all is coming from that pinnacle. Um, even though heaven was so bright that I would have been blinded by it with earthly eyes, you won't have earthly eyes in heaven. It's brilliant. It's vivid. I saw colors there I've never seen here. So I could see this. I, I wanted to go in. I, you know, I was thrilled to meet these people, but I knew they lived there and they were coming behind me. So I wanted to go in. Uh, there are trees of life there uh, that bear fruit all the time. We will eat in heaven, but not for sustenance, but for fellowship. There, uh, there is a river flowing from the throne of God. Uh, it is, it is, there are angels everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Some of them have six wings. Some of them have two wings. Some have no wings. And I could hear them hovering above me, and I could actually hear their wings. Not just their voices, but their wings. What a comforting sound it was. And the music of heaven was one of my most vivid memories. Thousands of songs at the same time without chaos because they were all symbiotic. You could, you could hear each one of them and distinguish each one of them. God loves music and God loves praise. He, is, he alone is worthy of our praise. And they're yeah. praising him constantly. The, the, the lone piece of music that seemed to soar above all the others was holy, 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 holy. You know why? He is holy. Yeah. He is holy. And that's the reason we can't go, because we're not holy, except through Christ. Christ alone can make us holy in the sight of God. Yeah. And that's what we're about right yeah. now. So I heard holy, holy, holy over and over again. I get the more weary I get here on earth, the louder the heavenly music gets to me. Yeah, I, I, I hear it, and I want you to hear it. And yeah. God wants you to hear it. 
But heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. You're not going just because you're good or you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal. Or a, I mean, you're going because you have a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You say it was uh, sensory overload, it colors was. you never saw, sounds you never heard. Aromas. Aromas, yeah. Yeah, one of the aromas of heaven are the prayers of the saints coming from the throne of God. What does it smell like? Well, I don't have a thing to smell it. I mean, it was, it was floral, but it was sweeter than that. It was, there's just no words for it. And that's one of the problems of talking about heaven. How do you do it with earthly words? What, what does justice to heaven? Nothing, really, except being there. And that's why you want to be there, and you'll love it. It's, it's eternal. Here, not eternal. We're passing through. Uh, you notice the death rate here is 100%. You're not getting out of this alive. Unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, right. we're going to die. Now, I'm not trying to be maudlin here. I'm just trying to be realistic. Hey, I got in a car on my way to church to lead a Bible study at 38 years old. And the next thing I knew, I was run over by a truck. All the people I met at the gates of heaven were not planning to die the day they died. But they were ready. And that's, that's the issue. Are you ready? If something were to happen to you, God forbid, today, would you go to heaven? Are you ready? Sure, that's the key. You know, Don, many people will talk about the fact, they'll say, well, I'm a good Presbyterian, mm -hmm. or I'm a Methodist, yes. uh, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I was right. baptized as an infant. Are those things enough to get us to heaven? As, as commendable as they are, uh, no, absolutely not. It's, it is a personal thing. It's not a membership thing. That's right. It's a personal thing. You have to come to the point where you realize you're not eligible for heaven because of your sins. You've done things you shouldn't have done, and you haven't done some things you should have done. So we have, we, we're not eligible. Heaven is a holy place. We're not holy. We can't go in. Well, there has been a way provided. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to take our sins upon him when he died on the cross. When he died, that sin died because he was resurrected. He came back, and he will come back again someday. I can promise you that. But in the meantime, accepting what he did on the cross on our behalf causes us to become followers of Jesus. We accept his sacrifice. We accept his paying for our sins. But it's not just accepting it. It's deciding to live that way. Yeah. It's turning from the way that you have been living and living for him, making him your guide, making him your Lord, making him the person that you live for. And he's given us very specific instructions on how to live. Yeah, yeah I, I wrote a, a book called a Getting to Heaven, Departing Instructions for Your Life Now. <laughs> and it's about how to live on the way to heaven. Right. We're here right. now. Shouldn't we, be, shouldn't we be living like we're followers of Jesus on the way there? Yeah. So it's important that you make this decision. And some of you may be in your 70s or some of you may be in your teens. Some of you may be single digits, you know, in your age. There, I, I told you there's no age in heaven. 
But it's important that you stop and take a look at your life and ask yourself the question, would I go to heaven right now if I was, uh, if something were to happen to me? Yeah. And you're only going to be able to do that by accepting Christ as Savior. What is he saving you from? Your sin. Eternal death, which is what hell is. Hell is just as real as heaven. Mm -hmm. It's he's saving you from all that stuff. Because some people wonder, what is a Savior? He, he's saving you from all those things. Yeah. He's saving you from yourself, actually. So he then becomes the focal point of your life. And you live for him. And then one day, you'll see him. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I live a good enough life. Yeah. But the reality is, for all the good that I've done, my sin outweighs yeah. any good I've done. And exactly. I could never measure up to God's standard. I saw an illustration once about a, a girl who got a beautiful white dress. And she was writing and she spilled some ink on the dress. And it was just a, you know, like a circle of, of ink on this beautiful white, like linen dress. Right. Nobody looked at her dress. They were looking at that, the stain that was there. That's the way God looks at us. When he sees us, he sees the stains in our life, things that we do. But he loves us anyway, mm -hmm. and he's willing to forgive that, and he's provided a way for forgiveness so that when he looks at us in heaven, he doesn't see any of that stuff. I mean, yeah. Jesus becomes our advocate then and turns and says, she belongs to me. Mm. And that makes you eligible to get into heaven. Yeah. That's how it works. And so I made that decision at 16 in a service like this when the pastor actually stood in the pulpit and said, who wants to go to heaven? We're taking reservations today. And I've been going about a year to church, only a year. And I tried to read the Bible through, and I'm, I have to tell you, I didn't understand most of it. And that's okay if you're reading it. You don't understand. Just keep reading. And also get some help. Come to these classes that you see and learn more about it. And I did. And so by the time I was 16, I knew he was talking to me. I mean, I knew he was saying that to me. And even though he might not have been on the platform and saying, that guy in the third row, I'm talking to him. No, he was talking to me, and God was speaking through him. Yeah. I was lost, and I knew I was lost, and mm. I wanted Jesus. And so I walked awesome. down the aisle, I took his hand, and I said, I want to go to heaven. And he said, son, this is the best decision you yes, ever made. Yes, it is. I didn't know yes, that 22 is. years later on a lonely highway in East Texas, I was going to get run over by a truck. But I was ready. So are you? Are you? Don... I think this is a perfect time to give people the opportunity. They've heard science said you were dead. No one can argue with a dead man who's been to heaven and come back to life. They've heard your story, your testimony of heaven. They've heard the testimony that Jesus died for our sins. Indeed. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me right now. You know, you being here to hear Don's story is awesome. In fact, I want to thank you for being here. But if all you ever do is come here and you hear Don's story, it's his story. God wants to write your story. 
The Bible tells me that God so loves all of us. He doesn't care what color skin, what language. He doesn't care whether we have education or no education, whether we're wealthy or we're poor. It doesn't matter how much we have sinned or how little we think we have sinned. The Bible says God so loves the world. If you ask me, in my own opinion, there are many times I think I am the world's greatest screw-up. <laughs> but God loves me. Yes. And God loves you. And maybe throughout your life you've had enough people telling you you are a screw-up. Maybe you don't need other people to tell you that. Maybe it just echoes in your ears all the time. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter our shape, our size, our color, or what we've done wrong. Nobody will get you and love you like God does. Probably the thing I hate about religion the most is that often religion paints God as this angry, old, crotchety judge who just wants to make everyone pay. And the reality is that the opposite is the truth. God is the one who paid for your sins and my sins. And we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't have something in their past that they're really glad nobody else knows about. God knows all of my sins and all of your sins, and yet, while we were still sinners, God said, I love you so much, I'll trade places with you. We look at the cross, and the cross is the place of exchange. The Holy Son of God came and paid the price for God's unholy Son. He who knew no sin became the sin of Rob Scarallo, and he died on that cross. And the only way I can ever claim what he did for me is if I go to the cross and say, Jesus, not only do I believe, I welcome you to come into my heart and in my life. If someone could love me that much at my worst place in life, that person deserves to be loved and invited into my life. Don, that's why we're here today. Absolutely. That's why you tell your story all over the world. We're trying to get people in and help them have a better trip on the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Jesus is doing something right now. He says in the Bible that he's doing this right now. He said, I stand at the heart of every man and every woman. I stand at their consciousness. I stand at the moment of opportunity and I knock on their heart. And what I love, Don, is he says this here. Absolutely. If anyone, 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 it doesn't matter what you've done wrong or what you've done right. It doesn't matter how much you've been rejected by everyone else in the world or how popular you are. He said, if anyone will open the door, 
I will come in. There's one absolute in this verse, and the absolute is that God will accept you. In fact, there are two absolutes. He's knocking on your heart right now. There isn't a person that God won't chase down. He loves us so much, he will knock on everyone's heart. You've probably had other opportunities where you've heard a message about God's amazing grace. Today, Jesus is knocking on your heart. And he says, if you will open that door absolutely without question, without judgment, he will come in. He loves you. He wants to be your Savior. Yeah. Now. Now is the day of salvation. Today. I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. And let's settle on one thing. Religion. It can be good, but it can't save you. No. So whatever banner you fly under, just put it down for a moment. Because the bottom line is whether or not you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He died for your sin. And right now he's knocking on your heart. He's knocking on your consciousness. He's knocking on your thought life and your emotions. And the greatest sin of all is to not open the door when Jesus is knocking. Friend, whether you're here for the first time or the hundredth time, while every eye is closed, if you have never said yes to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about believing that he exists, if you have never welcomed him to come into your life, if you've never humbled yourself and said, God, I'm a sinner, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Then you need to do that right now, and we're going to give you that opportunity. And if you did that maybe years ago, but you know you're not walking the walk, you're not living it, you've walked away, this is the best time, Don, for people to recommit and reconnect with Jesus Christ. Come home. He wants you to come home. You know that. Yeah. So while every eye is closed, while the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and Jesus is knocking, Come on, start to raise your hands and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now, all across this auditorium, if you want to accept Christ and you've never done that, raise your hand and say, I want Jesus. Thank you. I see that hand up the front. Up the back, I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand, ma'am. God bless you. People all over the auditorium are raising your hand. Those of you that have already raised your hand, you can put it down. Who else? Right now, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. I want him to live in me. Heaven can be yours now. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't, don't miss this chance. Don't miss it. In a moment... I'm going to invite you to come on down the front, Don, and I would love to pray for you. But before we do that, I want everyone here to do something really kind. With very, a sense of sensitivity and gentleness, I want you to turn to the person next to you and just ask them, even if it's someone you know, say, 
Have you ever asked Jesus Christ in your heart? Be very gentle, be very respectful. And if you have never done that, and you're willing to do that today, then I'm going to ask that person, when you say yes, to just escort you out of the seats and come on down the front. Those of you that raised your hand this morning, come on, Don, you want to pray for them? I would want to be pray. great to honored, shake their hand. Honored to pray for Amen. some new names written down. Absolutely. Why don't you start to come right now, step out of the aisle, turn to somebody and ask them. Would you do that? Turn to somebody right now and say, have you ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart? There you go. Come on down. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. They're coming now. Come. Come on down. We want to pray awesome. for you. Awesome. We want to pray for you. Awesome. Others, up the back, you raise your hand. This is great. This is the whole reason why Jesus came. Come on. Awesome. Put your hands together. This is fantastic. 